Unstoppable budget trends are more and more starving the government of the funds it needs to invest in itself. Money for modernizing systems and processes. More governments are looking to private capital to see if there's a mechanism by which to bring it in. That's the topic of a new study by the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Joining me in studio are two of the study's authors. Ken Buck is adjunct professor at the University of Virginia. Ken, good to have you in. Thank you. Good to be here, Tom. And Steve Redburn is lecturer at George Washington University. Steve, good to have you in. Good to join you. Let's begin with what it is you were trying to discover with this study, the idea of private capital investing in government. That sounds like something other than just buying services of contractors. The federal government has a a big backlog of capital needs of various kinds, including uh, the need to modernize many of its systems, its IT and uh, communication systems. And at the same time, the budget has really constrained the resources available to meet those capital needs. So the IBM Center for the Business of Government, uh, working with Shared Services Leadership Coalition, convened a roundtable last fall of people who have a variety of perspectives, both private sector and public sector, both people on the Hill and people in the executive branch, who have, uh, were challenged by Margaret Weikert, who's been leading the administration's uh, government improvement efforts uh, government-wide. Or had been. Or had been, mm-hmm. or still is. Yes, yeah, she's here. Challenged by, by her to come up with uh, new ways of thinking about this problem. How do we mobilize the private sector's capital, not only its capital, but its expertise and its technology, to address this uh, set of needs within the constraints of the budget and the complexities of the procurement process? So we have then taken that set of ideas and developed them. And Ken, what are some of the ideas? Well, I can speak to the acquisition uh, area because basically uh, what we did is uh, we teamed up Ed DeSev as our other partner in crime. And we we put – what we looked at this – a way to solve this problem is to look at the holistic view, meaning it isn't a procurement solution. It isn't necessarily a budget solution or an HR solution. So we worked as an integrated team to basically say what are the barriers to our to the federal government accepting private equity money, if you will, or pretty much, right? Mm-hmm. We looked at uh, venture capitalists. It was a very interesting view. Our research looked at how other, other governments are, are doing this, national governments, say, in foreign countries as well as states and, and local uh, governments. So on the acquisition side, what we determine is there are mechanisms – that exists today within the federal acquisition regulation. I'm talking strictly from a contracting perspective in terms of the flexibilities that are stated in Part 1 of the FAR. Uh, if it's not illegal, immoral, or unethical, assume it can be done. That's the mantle. Now, that isn't always practiced. Uh, so there are incentive-type contracts that we may use. So I won't get into the recommendations right now, and, and, and we can explore those. Well, let's, let's talk about how other governments do take in private capital, say other national governments. What is their mechanism? Well, there uh, is a, a separate capital budget in, in many countries, most countries, and also at the state level in the U.S. The, the federal government doesn't have a separate capital budget. Right. So that means that the same appropriations process, the same decision-making process that applies to Social Security or spending on administration applies to investments in capital improvements. And that sometimes everything is a one year cash basis, basically. To, uh, not necessarily cash, but certainly one year at a time. And mm-hmm. and that means that for a capital project, 
where the conventions as they are currently applied in the budget process require that the full cost be appropriated up front for what could be a very large lump sum of money is at a disadvantage relative to annual spending for maintenance or services procurement. So it's easier, ironically, to continue maintaining legacy systems in the federal system because of this one obstacle than it would be to build a new system that could serve maybe multiple agencies and created efficiency savings. That's where you get into the shared services idea. That's right. Yeah. And the other problem with the budget process as it exists from this perspective is that it's stovepiped by agency and department. So it's very difficult to get an appropriation for a system that's going to serve multiple agencies. You can create some sort of franchise fund perhaps, but then the mechanisms for repaying that fund cross agency boundaries are another challenge to, to the way budgets are constructed. Yeah, the old pass-the-hat method, so to speak, has never been all that successful at the federal level, has it? Right, and the, the key is to give appropriators confidence that they'll actually recover those costs if there are efficiency savings down the road from capital investment today and be able to reflect those in, as savings in their appropriations. We're speaking with Steve Redburn, lecturer at George Washington University, and Ken Buck, adjunct professor at the University of Virginia. What are some of the recommendations for getting around this and maybe bringing in private capital in such a way that the government could benefit from it and get what it needs for investment? Well, focusing on contracting and procurement area, there there have been efforts over the years to try to make it more flexible, more innovative. One of the things, uh, and it's an evolutionary process, so one of the areas I worked uh, 20 years ago I, uh, now was, was the whole concept of share in savings, where basically the government didn't have to fund the full amount of the first-year obligation, if you will. In essence, they could enter a contract by partial funding and in some cases are no funding, depending on the opportunity, and the contractor would be paid from uh, the savings that actually occurred. And they use that a lot for building modernizations and getting some better right. Mostly HVAC systems and that kind of thing. Energy savings were, were good. I mean, that was a good example because there was a meter on the wall and it was clear to know what, what the costs uh, were before some renovation. And then if they were reduced as a result of, say, thermal windows, uh, the electricity bill went down, then that part of the, the reimbursement of the the investment by the contractor was, was paid from those savings, a portion thereof. So the e- EGov Act of 2002 it was very innovative. It, it basically trumped the uh, Anti-Deficiency Act. Uh, it, it established that any savings that were accrued, would, the government would uh, be able to reinvest those in other programs. And when we put the infrastructure in place, uh, we put the policies that were ready to be signed uh, over at the Office of Federal Procurement Policy, and basically we ran out of time. And so it was a five-year pilot, and it basically expired. So one of our recommendations uh, is that let's look at resurrecting it now that we've learned more. I mean, it is an evolutionary process. Shared savings mechanisms. Absolutely. And it's being done at the state level where, in essence, they're focused on balanced budgets, et cetera. So there, there are some controls that can be put in place, but for the most part, we think that that, that is certainly a recommendation in the long term to, to permanently authorize it, but now we think there should be another uh, a follow-on pilot. Another area, and this gets to uh, the whole issue of accepting private equity money, under the current structure, I don't know so much about the budget rules, but certainly if you go to a contracting officer today and say that 
we're going to um, – they'll say augmentation of appropriations, okay? And that's uh, a scary word. And those of us that grew up in our first uh, contracting course, they said if you make a mistake, uh, you could go to jail. And so that environment is still there. There are pockets of innovation. But what's happening – so the second recommendation is uh, to look at other transaction authority because that is a completely different animal than it is in the federal procurement sector where private investment is actually encouraged and it's in there in statute. We don't look at it as a panacea, but it is the type of, of viewpoint, the type of environment that's going to promote innovation. And it's not to say the procurement rules are stodgy or they're inappropriate. They're restrictive in a lot of ways. So our recommendation is to really explore expanding the scope of OTAs beyond research and development. Beyond prototyping and prototyping, types of things. right, and more into production. And, and basically – and the third one was public-private partnerships. It's almost like the other federal, you know, U.S. Uh, agencies, not federal, but at state and local level and also in other countries. And, and in our report, we give some specific examples of how states are using it to uh, enhance infrastructure, which is something this country needs. And so we believe that that should also be used. And, and uh, Steve, what does the appropriations process and the budget request process look like in those situations? Well, Ken's correctly described the, uh, the conservatism and the anxieties that budgeters feel, appropriators especially, about innovative practices that might expose the government to risks down the road. So, and the budget concepts and their application have grown out of that desire to make sure that the government is taxpayer is protected and there's proper stewardship of funds and also that costs are properly recognized up front before the government gets too far into a deal that uh, could be problematic. So to give them more confidence and to reduce their anxiety about these arrangements, it's necessary to build a body of experience and evidence and systematic demonstration to them that this is what uh, can be recovered in terms of cost savings or efficiencies down the road. And here's a mechanism that you can use as a model to do this over and over again. One of the examples of how that can be done is the current uh, Technology Modernization Fund, which was authorized two years ago and has been used now by uh, OMB and GSA to essentially run an internal competition among agencies to uh, tap those funds for innovative approaches to generate administrative savings through IT modernization. As that is documented, as it's shown that this is a working model, it's still very small, but it could be expanded and built on and expanded to a wider range of capital needs. So that's just an example of how you give confidence to people by building evidence. Uh, Scorekeepers don't like to be uncertain about uh, what the cost savings are going to be, so you have to demonstrate to them that they're real. I guess the biggest hurdle to getting any of this done is convincing Congress, not just about the idea, but about the fact that agencies can deliver on what it is that Congress would let them do. In some cases, uh, we, we, th- we think that there is, within existing authority, uh, for example, from a procurement perspective, we may need authorization to do share and savings as it was originally structured 20 years ago, but there are incentive contracts uh, that uh, type of uh, mechanisms we can use to incent agencies, or I'm sorry, uh, fe- the federal contractors from uh, absorbing some of the costs, if you will. But I think when we look at historically at the share and savings concept, and, and, and Steve did a great job of, of explaining some of the restrictions, if you will, the, the accountability of cost. If, if somebody's going to invest 
in a company, say, you know, it's a federal agency of the company, they're going to want to look at the books. And heretofore, the government's been reticent to share basically what the costs were. 20 years ago, we didn't have very good cost accounting systems. I, I would hope they're more improved today with the CFO Act and, and uh, balance sheets, et cetera. So looking at a private sector partner, uh, not just a contractor that's on the other side of the fence. And again, that's why OTAs are good because the whole concept of cost sharing and partnership is inherent in that. And so that's a model, if you will, I think we, we could adopt. We also looked at some longer-term possibilities. And looking farther down the road uh, to facilitate uh, these kinds of innovative practices, the government may want to review the set of budget concepts that we've lived with basically since 1967 when the President's Commission established what we currently have as a budgeting uh, concept approach. And that could include uh, the way investment, changing the way investment is looked at in the, in the budget process. So that's one change that could be made farther down the road. And we could have a, an organized capital planning process that develops a pipeline of projects that helps reduce the uncertainties that private investors face uh, when they have to deal with the federal government. Steve Redburn is a lecturer at George Washington University. Ken Buck is adjunct professor at the University of Virginia. Thank you very much for both for being here. Thanks. Thank you. We'll post this interview along with a link to that IBM Center report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. It's in our nature.